like be this thing that holds like you like you're etching it into stone um i keep trying to tell you guys everything i tell you up here is conditional some of the things i will repeat over time some things i won't i think that chael sonnet is the best replacement for joe rogan if he leaves not that i would mind joe uh, chael but i i like brian stan and i enjoyed this true false because my name was in every sentence i suppose You're talking into a hairbrush. Is the audio working now? Okay, hold on. Is the sound working now? This is such a mess. It's a mess beyond all messes. Yes, okay. Christ almighty. Hey, Luke. Check, check. All right, there we go. God damn it. Christ. Hey, Luke. Since Ronda lost the belt, we already have had three different champs in less than a year in the women's bantamweight division. That just shows how impressive Ronda's run was. Which lady do you see not named Ronda being the next long-reigning bantamweight champion? I don't know that I see a long-reigning bantamweight champion. Ronda's run is impressive no matter what. Um, the fact that the title has changed hands since so significantly to me is certainly a testament to the parody in the division. But, um, you know, there were a lot of criticisms about UFC 200, some of which I just don't share. Like, I, if you didn't like the show as a, from an entertainment standpoint, I wouldn't take much issue with that in the end. Uh, that's fine. Uh, I was back in the back there, and I, I wasn't overly entertained either. And I thought it was bad necessarily, but not certainly relative to its promises. And even relative to 199, it just wasn't quite as thrilling, right? So uh, I wouldn't mind that. But, you know, the UFC can only put together the best card they can put together, and the rest is kind of, you know, you can only engineer your luck so much in building a card. It's very hard to tell exactly what, what's going to happen later on, for the most part, anyway. Um, but I really felt like that Amanda Nunes Misha fight was not one that was should have been made. It should have been uh, the rematch between she and Holm, and then the winner there uh, would get Rousey, I suspect. Now, if that person was like, just had ants in the pants and had to defend it, then yes, Nunes. And I'm not one of these guys who is a big believer in, you know, uh, I think the Dan Henderson fight with Michael Bisping, if it winds up actually getting signed, is a travesty. I mean, I don't even understand what the point is of having rankings if you're going to do that. And to me, but that's categorically different than, um, you know, keeping Tate and, and Holm sort of in that same uh, trajectory for Rousey. Like you never want to disregard your fresh blood in the division that is coming up. You always want to make sure that that gets used, but not so much at the expense of the division itself, which is kind of what has happened here uh, to an extent. And now you've got this case where Holly Holm is facing Valentina Shevchenko uh, at the next Fox show. If she loses that, you're going to have a rematch between Nunes and Shevchenko, except over five rounds, which if it goes over five rounds, I would favor Shevchenko at that point. This is that kind of turnover in the division is not. I don't know that that is really what benefits it. Now, I'm not one of these kinds of people who believes well. You should deny a contender in the name of making fights that people are are more interested in seeing. Either, um, you know, part of what makes the UFC what it is is the fact that the best fight the best routinely. Like you want to keep that alive, but I don't think delaying that for one more fight in a way where if Rousey returned, you'd have a natural storyline. 
um, really undercuts the division in that kind of way. And now you've got this mess on your hands at women's bantamweight where uh, how you get out of this one is going to take is going to take a little while unless you get some some luck. Uh, certainly, uh, Nunes was impressive, right? I mean, Jesus, she crushed Misha Tate uh, in ways that no one has. But um, I, I'm not of the belief that this is necessarily all all for the best. God damn, the show got off to a bad start. Mm. Audio gone again. I mean, is this for real? No, should be here. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> After last weekend, is Yuani and Jacek on my personal top 10 or top 15 pound for pound list? Ooh, yeah. Um, she she arguably has a claim as the best women's fighter. She was the biggest winner of the whole weekend for me. You know, she had arguably the toughest fight and put on, you know, in the end, by the time the fifth round was over, one of the better performances, you know, starting from a deficit, basically two rounds down and then having to come back and win. You know, it's like it's like tennis, right? You drop the first two sets, you get to come back and you got to win the third and the fourth and the fifth. And you know, she won the fifth better than uh, Claudia ever won the first or the second. Uh, pretty impressive when you think about it, man. It, just an incredible ability that she has to stay consistent over time. Like, and 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 people were mocking Claudia for something that she said that I didn't think deserved to be mocked, which was if we both have fresh cardio, me, Claudia, you, you winning a J check, I can beat her. I'm, I'm, I'm better than her, at least according to the rules of MMA, not so much in striking per, per se, but in the rules of MMA, if I'm fresh and she's fresh, I win. That's true. That's not a wrong argument. That's true. The problem is that's just a really bizarre way to look at a fight. Like, it's like if there, you know, it's the same thing people say, if there was no wrestling, I'd win this hands down. You know, if the fight was five minutes long or 10 minutes long, I would win hands down. Okay. Well, the fight's not 10 minutes long. Like you're putting these arbitrary criteria on there because when you have plenty of cardio, you're a handful. Okay, but cardio is part of the measurement of success. You can't, you can't just exclude it. Um, so she, you know there is something to be said for the fact that when she is fresh, she is a technical dynamo. But that you have to rely on that argument while letting your cardio essentially suffer um, is really hollow to me. Really hollow, you know. And not only that, I think honestly, JJ got better over the course of that fight, and she has everything. You know, she can she can fight a range, she can fight it close, she can fight against the fence. Her scrambling has gotten way better. Her overall takedown defense has gotten better, but is not great in terms of the amount of improvement she's made. The improvements I would call good. The ability to create a scramble I would call really good improvements. Really good. Um, she can get her hips. She just finds ways. To, she's never flat on her back, man. She never concedes the position and goes, okay, let's just play guard. You know, never, 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 never. She's always like getting to a hip, always trying to get to her base, always trying to, to, to push and pull and just create problems of instability for the person on top. And then, of course, once she's there, you know, she's deadly in the clinch. Um, she's a nightmare. She's incredible. And it was a, it was a total joy to watch her do what she did. Incredible. Why we're not ranking in the top 10, top 50, I don't know. I have to sort of think about it. But 
you know, certainly if if you've got problems with Ioni and Jacek, I don't know what to tell you. Okay, Luke, now that the UFC has been sold, what are your hopes and what are your fears for the future of the sport? I really don't have too many fears. Crush the smaller media outlets like MMA Fighting, cater to ESPN now with exclusive interviews, breaking news. I mean, they already do that. <laughs> In the hopes that UFC can get Disney to bid $200 million per year for the broadcast rights once the Fox deal is up. I mean, you know, I'm not sure what to say about that. They already want that. Um I'm not, I'm not too worried about our coverage, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I have some concerns. Like, you know, how are they going to treat the media? You never know. Um, you know, are they going to irreparably ruin the product? I don't feel like that's very likely, but, you know, you never know. Um, the only really concerns I have are, one, are they going to keep face of the pain? Because that needs to die. Now. Now. Um I just can't believe that thing is still around. I just, you know, it's like a wart on someone's face. They just refuse to get lanced. Um, <laughs> God. Anyway, uh, the only thing I really consider when I think about is that some of these fighters are repped by the agency that now owns them. This would be prohibited in boxing, right? Um, I guess some state athletic commissions might get hairy about it, but it's not technically illegal. Uh, think about it this way, right? Like if you've got a William Morris Endeavor fighter in an important bout and they're going to get somebody who's not a William Morris Endeavor fighter, is the advertising side of the company going to be reluctant to tell that story correctly? Are the matchmakers going to be fearful about owner reprisal? in booking a William Morris Endeavor fighter versus somebody who might be a, a, a crazy challenger? Are fighters who are William Morris Endeavor going to be more naturally featured on things like Embedded? Are they going to get better fights and better assignments on better cards? You know, I'm not sure that there's going to be people from William Morris Endeavor one way calling down to the others to do something like that, but I don't think that's an unreasonable concern to wonder. Like, it's a pretty clear conflict of interest. You're promoting the same people you have managerial contracts with um or even agent contracts with um that's a i mean that's a conflict of interest how that you know naturally changes things on the ground i don't know maybe none maybe it doesn't happen at all right i mean that's that would be ideal but nevertheless i'm just trying to noodle this through like if i'm in the if i'm making the if i'm working in the advertising department of ufc or if i'm you know making the promos and we've got a a promoted fighter that's promoted by the owners and we've got someone who's not, am I going to tell that story as fairly? Are they going to tell that story as fairly? I don't know. Are, are they going to get match made fairly? I don't know. I don't know. I guess we're gonna have to wait and see, but that is definitely something that concerns me for sure. Uh, and one of my hopes, yeah, get rid of face the pain. Um, and my hopes is that, you know, they continue to professionalize the sport. Obviously we all want bigger uh, fighter paydays. I would like to see them turn into employees, personally. I don't think this will happen, but I would like to see the fighters turn into employees and then be able to uh, collectively bargain, right? Because we're, what now what we're doing is we're saying, well, because there's no union, the best thing for a fighter is to have this uh, other organization that can help raise the the value of their um, of themselves, of potential contracts, of potential fighters in similar situations who might be matriculating one way or the other. Right? You 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 leverage them in that way. 
Um, but I, I think that it would be hard to argue, especially at this juncture now when most of that talent is sort of sucked up, that what would be better to have these other organizations just sort of existing for the purpose of leveraging and you know occasionally offering a different look at a product, the dynamite thing, or what would be better is to have these guys be employees, which would entitle them to much more and then have the ability to collectively bargain and then that just have that be that league. Um, to me, it would be the latter scenario. Um, again, I'm not suggesting this is likely. I, I'm just saying like that would be my hope. Uh, the Mighty Joanna. Sort of been over this. How long do you think it'll be before another challenger is realistically a serious threat to her title? Well, I mean, a while, right? Like, who in that division do you see can give her problems? Uh, I respect Rose tremendously, but I don't see that as one. Paige Van Zandt, obviously, no. Um, I don't think Asparza is going to come storming back anytime soon. Um, I mean, maybe Joanne Calderwood, but I don't see that as particularly likely either. I mean, I think she might hold on to that title for a while. I'm expecting for her, anyway, a long reign of dominance. Claudia is her toughest rival, and she's not close enough. She's pretty close, but not close enough. Rose and JoJo are legit. They are legit and would be a tough challenge for Joanna. I don't think so. And don't sleep on Double K. Double K may be down the road. Jessica Andrade is going to take her title. Maybe, but I wouldn't bet on it. All right. So, Luke, after years of speculating if Jones is using PEDs, he finally got caught. He got potentially caught, if we're being technical. Everything from Jones having very low testosterone levels pre-UFC 182 to DC saying Jones is the strongest guy he ever fought. Okay, neither of those are evidence. but uh, And let's not forget that rumor about Jones hiding under the cage of Jackson's when Water came for a visit. All right, well, Water didn't come for a visit. I mean, these are just like a... Like, this question is sort of the basic problem with John Jones. It's like, there are so many criticisms to make of him, but if you're going to do it, you have to do it correctly. Like, you have to adhere to the facts. He didn't get caught. He got potentially caught. Now, he may, in fact, we there, it may be proven that he got caught, but that's not the, the stage we're in now. Number two, he did have very low testosterone levels pre-USC 182, but nothing that was so alarming that it caused for extra, um, um, I mean, perhaps additional levels of scrutiny, but legally nothing else. DC saying Jones was the strongest guy he ever fought. That means nothing. Let's not forget about the rumor that Jones hid under the cage at Jackson's when USADA came for a visit. I've heard that story as well, but I'm told it was because of drugs and recreation, which he eventually popped for anyway. What's your thought about all of this, Luke? Not USADA, I'm sorry. <clears throat> well, the, I guess Nevada Athletic Commission came. What's your thought about all this, Luke, and why would John and his manager not say the name for what he got caught? Does this, Don't they realize this will come out sooner or later? Um, okay. First of all, let's talk about John Jones for a second, shall we? This is a guy who I have defended uh, probably more than I should have at times. I think it's a fair way to put it because, um, you know, one, I do stand by a lot of the arguments that I've made about him. Two, you know, he's such a prodigious talent. It's hard not to be enamored with what he's capable of. But you know what? Like I said, when he came back from the suspension, recall the video I made, and everyone was like, we got to get John to – to be a boy scout, he's got to come around and, and we, we need to see that he's changed. And I was like, he's either going to change or he is not going to change. And us being like, we need you to be a boy scout is a complete waste of time. And frankly, I'm not really interested in it. I don't care if he's a boy scout. I just care that he is in a measure of compliance in his life. Compliance with the laws around him, 
particularly given the uh, that strenuous requirement with the probation, right, relative to the average person. I mean, you and I can get pulled over for speeding. That may or may not mean so much for us, but for him, that may be uh, putting things in jeopardy. And then also compliance with the rules of the sport with which he's engaged, um, both in the cage, like no eye pokes, things like that, and, and of course, outside of it with many other things, not 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 limited to, uh, including anti-doping. And um, we keep having this argument like, and even now we're having it, even now we're having it. And I don't know what's going to happen with this thing. Is he going to come out and prove that it was a tainted supplement or some other mitigating circumstance to get it, everything bumped down to six months? Maybe so. Um, and some folks I've been talking to, they don't think that's the case. I think it's going to be two years, but no one really knows for sure. Here's what I'll, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to stick to what I said about John previously. Either he is going to do it or he is not going to do it. But I'm going to put a little twist on it. We keep talking about John like, will he get his act together? Won't he get his act together? And I'm going to switch that to, I'm not even sure at this point if he can get his life together. Right? Like, we keep looking at this like, here is this really successful person who keeps making these bad choices. What if that's not correct? What if that's not correct? What if the correct way to look at it is this is a guy who's basically just incapable, not merely of managing his life, but even through um, all of these problems, you know, just simply can't, doesn't have what it takes to make the steps towards corrective action. Like, like it is such a difficult switch for him to not be what he is that, you know, certainly you can't rule out the possibility it could ever happen, but you sort of know people like this in your life, or you certainly have heard of cases like this. In other words, we always look at it like, wow, a successful person, um, you know, when things go badly for them, they already know how to be successful, so they should be able to make adjustments at the margins. Like, you've turned in a paper, and it requires basically some minor editing. And I guess what I'm wondering is that's really the wrong way to look at this. What it, what it might be is that he's just a born guy who had these limitations that got camouflaged for a while because of his outsized ability to perform in the cage. And that basically what he is is what he is. And that we got that we got we got a wrong impression of him because we saw him first as successful when in fact that is really not an example of who he is. Um I I think I'm more in that camp now than I ever have been. Yeah, certainly I don't wish this to be the case. I don't know that this is the case. This is merely opinion and conjecture. Um, and what would be best for him and the sport in, in, as well would be for this to not be the case and for him to make those changes. I am not going to wait for that bus anymore. I am going to operate under the premise that this is something he cannot handle. And, uh, because that's really the only conclusion you can draw. I mean, keep in mind, he still has probation for what years to come. He has to keep his you know, his business in order just to be in compliance with that, just so he doesn't go to jail. Forget about all of this. Like he's got his hands full. He's got his hands full. So I'm going to, I'm going to like, there is way too much evidence at this point for me personally, just my view of the world that I'm basically going to argue. This is a guy who um, was not successful and then sort of got derailed and needed to to pull back on certain things and fix it. This is a guy who naturally gravitates towards these kinds of errors that we weren't made aware of because of his incredible fighting ability. And now that that has come alive, 
everything else is now beginning to follow him. Um, that's sort of my read on John Jones at this point. Now, that does not mean that that's true. That's just conjecture. And that does not mean, even if it is true, that he is not entitled to due process. I got to be honest with you. I am very much not okay with people coming out and saying, well, he took this. I mean, maybe you know that. Um, I personally would not repeat anything I, I couldn't independently verify. I would need verifiable evidence that this was true, not merely X told Y if this was true. I had people being like, well, you've got Chael saying it, and you've got Rashad saying he took estrogen blockers. That's two sources. How do you know that's two sources? That sounds to me like it could be very much one source telling two people, and if that person is wrong, gee, you got a big problem. Now, I will say that them coming out and not declaring what he took uh, is not a good look. You know, this is not something you want to let linger. What it sounds like to me is they're not quite sure what to make of this, these two substances, and they're probably trying to cobble together a defense. Maybe it's a legitimate one. Maybe it's not. I have no idea. But that's sort of my read on it is they want to do more research on this so they can find the best possible uh, defense, of, you know, for these substances, which is their right entirely. Just sort of curious that they wouldn't say what exactly that it is. Um I did see uh, Brendan Schaub mention on the fighter and the kid that you can't get estrogen blockers and supplements. Now I have high respect for Brendan Schaub and the fighter and the kid. You've heard me say it on this very podcast here. Their podcast is about as successful as podcasts get. I mean, it's an incredibly successful podcast and I like both of those guys, Brendan Schaub and Brian Callen very much. But if we're sort of speaking to the facts, that's not the case. You can get, there are a number of, of estrogen blockers in all kinds of different performances, uh, uh, supplements, excuse me. Um, now you could take them, of course, pharmaceutical grade too, right? I mean, I'm not saying that they only exist in supplements, but the idea that you cannot take them in supplements either willfully or accidentally, um, is not true. Whether that's the defense they're going to use for John Jones. I don't know. I'm sort of, I'm simply correcting the record. You can go to, uh, here. I put it up on my Facebook page. You can go to bodybuilding.com right now. They have anti-estrogen supplements, info, videos, and so forth. And they have a list of, in just in 2016, the best anti-estrogen suppressants that you can buy. Olympia Labs, DIM, uh, 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 or Pescience, Erase Pro Plus, SAN Estradex, uh, Almax Nutrition, Tribex 90, SD Pharmaceuticals, Acetacin 99, San Conquest 250, MRN, Chrysan 500, Infinite Labs, Cyclodex, Enzymatic Therapy Pure, RIP with the DIM is the one they're talking about. That is definitely one. Nature's Way, DIM Plus. Now, understand, uh, I don't know whether these supplements work. I don't know to what extent that this would uh, flag a USADA if, they, if you took this. Some of this stuff is listed, of course, under the water prohibited list. Not all of it is necessarily. So, um, so we'll have to see what it is and the circumstances that surround it. But just to be clear... Yes, it is quite unequivocal that you can um, take anti-estrogen or you know estrogen suppressors um, over the counter. You can do that very easily. Not hard. What was the other part of this question? Yeah, I mean him and his manager. You know, I don't know. Someone says you don't hide under a cage for out of comp test for coke. Stop sticking up for Jones. You love him. We get it. Really? Because the person who told me that story was from Jackson's. Want to bet I know the story better than you do? Because I bet you I do. So. 
Uh, okay. Um, don't they realize it will come out sooner or later? Unless he reveals it, I'm not sure that it necessarily will. Although, if it's in Nevada, and then Nevada, Nevada adjudicates this dispute, which I believe they're going to, which no one really knows how that's going to work, by the way, at least in totality, um, then it might come out that way. But I suspect what they're doing is they don't even know what to make of these. I mean, I mean maybe they do. Uh, but my, my guess is that trying to cobble a defense together for these kinds of things, they want to make sure they're very careful about that. So, um, He's unbelievable, isn't he? Like... I, I had fundamentally, I mean, this, after this one, I fundamentally just changed my view about him. I really don't, you know, for him to be as successful as he was for so long, I wonder if that was just aberrant. Like, like what, what, what he really is is what we're getting now. And we, we got the last few years. Um, again, I don't know that to be true. I really hope it's not true. I would love for it to not be true. But I am going to operate from, you know, a jaundiced view of him at this point. Um, which many of you have done for a while, but I think for reasons that were pretty flimsy, although not after the last go-round. After the last go-round, you could have. But after the last go-round, plus this go-round, I don't, I don't really know what you can say in his defense anymore. I don't. He is... <laughs> I mean, even if this was accidental, it's like... Even, even then, it's just not okay, you know. Were you disappointed with UFC 200? Um, disappointed is probably a strong word, but you know it certainly wasn't all that awesome. Like when it was over, what were you like, "Wow, that was really, really great"? Probably not. Um, the Brock Lesnar Mark Hunt fight had an interesting result, but was not necessarily like thrilling action. Certainly, Cormier versus Silva was not necessarily thrilling action for a variety of reasons. Main event was great, but it didn't really feel like a big main event. Um, Kane was great. And what was the other one I'm not thinking of that was also on that card? Uh, well, also on the prelim card, Hendricks versus Gastelum was good. The Cat versus Pena fight was good, but it was still a lot of positional control. Um, what was the other fight I am thinking of on UFC 200 that was like, okay, but not great? I saw Frank Mir the other day, too. It's huge, Jesus. Oh, Al, Jesus, how could I forget? Aldo Edgar. That was great, but that was still very much, you know, it wasn't a barn burner exactly. Um, it was just, you know, a masterful performance, not the same kind of thing. So the evening never, like, it never crescendoed, you know. Delia's cardio versus Joanna's ground game. As I was rewatching the Injecek Delia match, and this time able to actually breathe while doing so, I became curious about something. Understandably, a lot has been made about Gadelia's cardio in that match, sure. But I felt that Joanna's takedown and ground defense were major factors sapping Gadelia. While Gadelia was able to take Joanna down several times, she really had to wrench her there. And once on the ground, she never really seemed to be able to truly secure a comfortable top position, with Joanna usually popping up fast. Even in the ground and pound situations, Gadelia had to actively push Joanna down with one arm against the cage. And even on the ground, it was essentially a constant clinch battle. So am I a dog for giving Joanna too much praise and feeling that Joanna's takedown defense and ground game would be really taxing to any grappler, especially since you have to keep constant pressure on otherwise? Not any grappler, but a lot of grapplers. What I would say is the way in which she gets up, someone who's a back specialist might really give her some problems. 
but I don't know that Gedalia is not that kind of way, or at least didn't think of it that, that kind of way. So, but to your point, yes, like it's she never concedes guard ever. She never concedes guard and like waits to disrupt you. Like once she's down there, it's it's like it's she's being electrocuted and has to get up. Like it's hot coals, and she has to get back on her feet and get out of the way. You know, she's constantly moving. That is very taxing and tiresome because it just when you're the person on top. You just never feel like you've ever secured anything. Now, maybe Gedalia feels like she did, but I can just tell you psychically, you're like, I, I don't really have takedowns here. I have moments where I'm winning, but they don't really mean a whole lot. So sure, absolutely. Like her, her ability to create scrambles. Always remember this. Even if you're on bottom, the person who creates the scramble typically wins. Typically. Not always, of course, but typically. And she is creating the scrambles. The 125-pound women's division may be potentially materializing. So who do you think has the best potential to hold the belt in that division out of these names below? Joanna Champion? Maybe. Misha Tate? She has a rebound performance. Joanne Calderwood? Nope. Other fighters you can think of that may move to 125. Bola was, of course, already there. Um, who are some big 135ers? I don't know. I have to see what would happen. But, um, but I still think Joanna might be the quick queen of that one, too. In my opinion, the most impressive performance of UFC 200 was Jose Aldo essentially shutting down Frankie Edgar for five rounds. Do you agree? By the fourth round, I figured out what Aldo had done, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. He found a space where he could defend, attack, keep Frankie guessing, and eliminate his footwork all at the same time. He essentially put Frankie Edgar in neutral. Insane. Yeah, I have to say, that's the most impressive takedown defense I've ever seen in a UFC championship fight. Because, and I wrote about this, and people were confused. Maybe the tweet wasn't clear. Like, there were some times where he had to really scramble with his takedown defense a little bit. But there was the majority of those takedowns, Aldo barely looked like he was doing anything. In other words, what I wrote was, like, his takedown defense is so good, it looks like he doesn't have any. And by that, I mean, it looks like if you didn't know what takedown defense was and you saw Aldo in that fight, with the exception of a few of those takedowns attempts, you'd have looked at him and been like, oh, he's just putting his hand up and moving and pulling his leg out. Oh, he's just putting his hand up and walking out of the way. When, in fact, it's like, he's doing all the right things, but he's doing them so effortlessly that it doesn't look like much effort when in fact it actually is, or at least it, it, it can be, uh, it was incredible. It was incredible to watch him do it. What a, what a rebound performance for Jose Aldo, man. I thought Frankie Edgar was coming in there hot. I thought he looked really good against Mendez, of course, and that he had really improved things, not merely tactically about what to do in this fight, but that his overall skills had improved while Aldo had waned. And it turned out that that's probably true. Like, I don't, I don't think he got worse from, you know, the last fight to this one, but it turned out that Aldo uh, may have, may have, I don't know, woken up out of his uh, dormancy or something like that. I don't know what you want to, how you want to describe it, but was not only able to get back on the horse, of course, in, a, in an abstract sense, but looked like to the question being raised here, he was able to fine-tune adjustments and raise his level of discipline in applying them over the way he had in previous fights. Like He didn't step on the gas in this one, but it didn't felt like he was coasting either. It never felt like to me like he was coasting. It felt like to me he was playing Matador. And uh, Edgar just had no answers. Edgar couldn't just really couldn't get anything going.
Claudia, I'm all about respect, Gedalia. Well, you guys love talking about this fight. Who do you think was the sore loser this year, Luke Rockhold or Claudia Gedalia? Oh, Luke Rockhold by a million miles. UFC 205 at, at MSG in November. What do you think it's going to look like? This is a this is a uh, sample card. McGregor Aldo two, Alvarez Nurmagomedov. Jesus, that would be awesome. Nick Diaz Gunnar Nelson, Chris Weidman Jacare Souza, Frankie Edgar Max Holloway. I mean, I wouldn't complain about that too much. Although I don't know that Edgar Holloway. If I like that, I mean, I like it, but not necessarily. What it might do for the division. Also, Diaz Nelson. I kind of favor Diaz big in that one. Yeah, perfect. There he goes, Chris Twenty Seven. Great card, but no to Frank Max and Frankie wouldn't want to risk Max losing that fight. I agree. Do Frankie Lamas or give him someone in the top fifteen, let him build his way back. Also, never consider, never discount the possibility that Frankie Edgar might go to bantamweight. His coach has told me that like a number of times that he thinks he can do it and will do it. Heavyweight prospects. Are there any? Luke, I constantly hear how every heavyweight is in their mid-30s and there's no young heavyweight prospects, but no one seems to mention Russell and Magomedov. He is 29 with a unique style for a big man. He is very agile and mixes movement with crisp punches and kicks. It's beautiful to watch. How do you feel about him and do you see him going very far in the division? I wouldn't rule it out. 29 is not exactly young. You're almost 30, right? Like you're halfway through your prime, if not a little bit further. But to your point, I agree. He is very good. Let's see what he can do with the time he has remaining. Um, What happened to Johnny? Johnny Hendricks seems to be an almost different fighter from the gladiator who once sat atop the mountain. And what do you think is responsible for his fall from heights? And what do you think he should do perhaps to recapture some of his conquering greatness? Jesus, man, that is a really unbelievable story about what's happened to Johnny Hendricks, isn't it? First of all, I think the, I don't know about the biggest culprit, but the biggest public culprit to me without being a doctor, uh, or having examined him in that kind of way, those weight cuts, not merely the ones here in the UFC, but the ones in college and in high school where during wrestling season you're cutting every week, um, I believe they have irrevocably damaged him. I had Chris Lieben on my radio show who told me, who hasn't cut weight like Johnny Hendricks, and told me that because of all the weight cutting he did, uh, he is on thyroid medication the rest of his life that it just doesn't work anymore that's crazy right that's crazy that's an insane thing to think about and that's where he is um i don't know exactly what's wrong with johnny in a very medically specific kind of way but it feels like things are going in the wrong direction over and over and over again it's one thing where you see some of these guys who make tough cuts like benson henderson but you don't feel like it's really affecting the trajectory of his career Johnny Hendricks couldn't make weight, lost 20% of his purse, and then looked okay in the fight, but okay. I mean, this is a guy who battered St. Pierre. I find it curious, but I have no real answer for why his vaunted punching power doesn't seem to be there anymore. Um, and I don't know that he's technically improved that much in the last few years. I think he's tightened things up a little bit, but he was making big leaps in his game previously that the game kind of feels stayed now. Um, you know, remember he was at first very much a grappler who would mix in strikes. Now he's very much a striker who doesn't mix in grappling at all. I mean, sort of as a defensive thing if he has to, but um, 
you know, this is the guy that beat St. Pierre. It's crazy. It's crazy to see. Um, you know, he's also taken a tremendous beating in his last few fights, and there might be other reasons as well. Um, but it is shocking to see. Well, maybe not shocking, but certainly depressing in one way or another to see. Um, I don't want to be one of those guys who rules out some ability to make a, a resurgence, resurgence in his career, particularly if he can accurately diagnose what's going wrong or whatever the case may be. But I don't think going to middleweight's an answer because he's way too small for middleweight. And the truth is, he's just like a someone. I forget who told me this. You know, he's not a one seventy pounder. He's a one seventy five pounder. But there isn't a one seventy five pound weight class. Him and Gastelum, although Gastelum was able to make it. Um, but there's no weight class for this guy. So he's trying to compete in a weight class he doesn't basically belong in. And the longer he keeps trying to do that, the more it is going to absolutely just wreck him. It's 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 a hard thing to watch, quite frankly, a very hard thing to watch. Someone says, if we look at the changes that have come during his decline, they may inform this discussion. One, IV ban. Two, change of camp. Three, PED allegations. Absent proof, but they have been made. Well, they, they're made against everybody. <laughs> There's a funny comment in here. I won't read it, but it's funny. At this moment, are we closer to Brock versus Fedor than ever? Probably. Probably, because the interesting part about Brock being back is we're not having this discussion anymore like, um, you know, can he win a title? Will he win a title? I mean, there was some discussion of like, if he wins, hang on. There we go. There was some discussion that like, if he wins, will he get a title shot? And I think what you saw was that it was pretty miraculous that he won, but you got Kane Velasquez out there throwing, what, spitting heel kicks? Uh, spinning back kicks to the head. Uh, you know, Lesnar might be able to pick off guys in the bottom half of the top 10, which is which is an incredible feat. But I don't think his ceiling has measurably changed. JDS probably still gives him problems. Though they didn't fight, but, you know, JDS beat Carwin, and Carwin gave Lesnar all kinds of problems. Therefore, it's reasonable to at least semi-conclude that JDS would give him problems. Lights out, take down the fence, and the whole nine. Um, and the jab and everything else. Um, Miocic, I feel like would, I would like his chances against him. Verdum, I don't know. We'll see. Probably, you know, Verdum might light him up on the feet and beg him to go to the ground. Um, Kane certainly would like Kane's chances against him again. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. Overeem already beat him once. Maybe he could do it again. So you get the idea. Like the guys at the top of the division would probably hurt him real bad. But at the bottom, who knows? You know, who knows? So giving him Fedor at this point is sort of dream scenario where you can use him and not have to put him on a title track where he might get derailed from continuing very quickly because he's still very much wishy-washy about whether he wants to do it at all, you know? Let's see here. Joe Duffy potential. Luke, just wondering how far you think Joe Duffy can go in the lightweight division. He has excellent striking and slick submission skills, and it was clear that he was levels above Clark. Obviously, he needs to step up in competition. The Poirier fight showed he had some areas he needs to work on, and although we didn't get to see much last week, it sounds like he's been putting in a lot of work since January. I bet if he works on his wrestling game, he can be a real contender in the division. And he's one of the—he's with one of the best gyms and coaches in the world to improve and round out his game. Your thoughts? Yeah, certainly. I thought Joe—I thought Joe Duffy was going to win that fight anyway. I don't—I don't know many people that thought Clark had much of a chance, but. 
that he won it in 25 seconds or whatever it was, 20 something seconds was, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, they weren't even in the same universe of skill and athleticism. Joe Duffy has like, he's like a really powerful, violent guy who just needs to hone his abilities a little bit, sharpen them a little bit. And then of course, add in the wrestling game as a component because he is long and, and um, that might give him some problems against really, you know, more stockier, quicker wrestlers in that division. You know, having the long limbs, yes, it's good for underhooks, but it can be good because it can get, you can get things trapped in ways you never thought before. It's just easier to get a hold of you and keep a hold of you. Like, it has benefits, but it has downsides too. Um, but if you can find a way to use his range when he needs it and then, you know, unload when he when he chooses to, he can definitely be a guy at the top of that division, 100%. No doubt about it. Joe Duffy is a very good fighter. The Silva fight hurt DC. Luke, I totally agree with how DC fought and the reasons he had for doing so. But the audience they were trying to reach by booking the Silva match didn't really receive it well. I watched with a bunch of people who never watch MMA and only know big stars like Brock and Anderson, and they were stoked ahead of time. And afterwards, not so much. Do you think it will hurt DC in the long run, given that this was the biggest TV audience he has fought for, and they saw him lay and pray on a guy for 15 minutes? Wouldn't it have been better... For him to be at Fargo Guard Musasi instead, since he was fully trained and ready to go. Uh, I actually had Daniel Cormier on my show on Monday, and I asked him that. Like, well, what would happen if you had had Daniel or uh, Gagard on the show? He goes, I'd have taken him down too. He was like very unapologetic about it. Let's talk about this fight for a second because this one drove me crazy as well. Now, um, as a caveat up front or as a disclaimer up front, I think Big John McCarthy is the best referee in the game. And number two, he's my favorite anyway. And number two, uh, I'm not accusing him necessarily of not employing the rules appropriately. I think he can make a case that he did. What I believe is it's a fundamental difference in worldview and a general worldview of how we look at fighting on the ground. I still think our views of fighting on the ground need to be updated a little bit. So here's essentially what happened. Daniel Cormier would go for a takedown, and you can say, well, the problem was, you know, Daniel Cormier wanted to go for a lay and pray. Daniel Cormier was not laying and praying. Um, not at all. So what happened was Anderson Silva was using something called the lockdown. The lockdown is when, if I'm going to grab one leg, let's say it's on this side, right? So this is my left hand, my left leg, okay? It means I'm going to put my left leg over your right leg. I'm going to put my right leg over my left ankle. And I'm gonna put my right ankle under your left under your right leg. Right. So left leg over right leg, my right leg over my left leg, my right leg under your right leg. And what's gonna happen is I'm gonna like extend out. And the the, the truth about the lockdown is if someone does it right, it's very painful actually, or it can be very painful. Um, if you're not flexible at all, so, which is weird, but if you're not flexible at all, some people will tap to that. Now that's quite rare, but it's not unheard of. But the lockdown is one of the situations where what's the value of it? The value of it is not only can you not go forward, you can't really go back either. Like you're basically just stuck in position. Now, there are ways to get out of the lockdown. There's a number of them. One is you, know, you bring your heel to your rear end. You flare it out one way to the, to the outside. Uh, and then you switch your hips to the inside and bring your knee past essentially where they're controlling you. It, it, you have to see it on video. You can look these things up, but... And there's other ways too to get out of it. You can do it and do a knee cut through the middle and 
all kinds of stuff. Um, but here's fundamentally how I view that. Okay. And I get that people disagree with this and that's fine. But if you're Anderson Silva and you're underneath and you're locking up the lockdown and then all you're doing is blocking and parrying shots and in your brain going one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, you're waiting for someone to stand you up, which is what he's doing. Um, you are stalling. You are stalling. Now, a couple things. Number one, I had someone write me saying, okay, this is not true in every circumstance, which is a fair point. It's not true in every circumstance. But in but for the vast majority of circumstances, if you're going to be in half guard, and especially the lockdown, you have to have an underhook. You have to be constantly fighting for someone with an, with an underhook. If you've ever rolled with somebody who's like a lockdown 10th planet guy, you cannot give up that underhook ever because once you do, that's when you begin to get the, the beginning of the end. You're going to get swept. You're going to get rolled. You're going to get torn to pieces. You have to have that underhook on the same side. They've got the lockdown. They are going to fight for that thing. They're going to they're going to they're going to be like Gordo back in the day. You guys remember Gordo, the BJJ guy Gordo? He would just sit on half guard and constantly try and pummel underneath constantly. Okay? So he never tries to do that. My point about the lockdown is this, there is offense built up off of the the lockdown. But if you're just holding it and you're not even reaching for an underhook, you're not fighting. That's not fighting what you're doing. You're just holding. Now, you might say, and I had many people tell this to me, you might say, well, that's just a smart strategy, right? You didn't want to go to the ground. He took you to the ground. You're going to hold on and block until the referee stands you up. What you are basically saying is I am in favor of stalling in certain circumstances. And I can tell you personally, I am not. We can disagree about that, but there's only one way to look at that. That is stalling. Anderson Silva was stalling in that fight. Now, I don't know why Daniel Cormier couldn't get out of the lockdown. If he couldn't get out of the lockdown because he didn't know how to get out of the lockdown, that's one problem, but that's not the same thing as stalling. What I want to penalize is stalling. And I don't think it's okay to lock up the, the lockdown and then just wait out till a referee saves you. I don't like that at all. I don't like those stand-ups at all. You, you, you warn the person stalling. If you want to keep the lockdown, that's cool. Keep the lockdown. Just get an underhook or build some offense from it or do something, but you can't just lay there. I, I just, you know, I fundamentally don't, I just don't like that at all. I think it's, I think it's crazy to think it's okay to stall in that circumstance, period. Um, I get that many of you disagree with that. You think, yeah, well, I wouldn't want someone stalling against the fence, but I don't mind someone stalling underneath. I mind someone stalling underneath. You know, waiting for a referee to save you because you don't want to fight to me is not a reason to get stood up, stood up. And to me, the lockdown is fundamentally different than someone locking you up in full guard. You shouldn't be at this level if you, a, you don't know how to pass full guard. You shouldn't really be at this level if you don't know how to pass the lockdown, but I can understand that a lot more. A lot more. I'm, a, I'm more sympathetic to that. And moreover, uh, I mean, full guard, you have so much more ability to do something. So much more. You can stand. You can get on a knee. You can put a knee between the legs. You can get both legs up. You don't even have to pass. You can bang on someone. Being in full guard, I mean, if you want to bang on someone, you can just sit there and do that. Now, if Daniel Cormier wasn't putting forth the same kind of effort to stay on top, that's a different circumstance. We could talk about Daniel not doing his, his due diligence in that role on top. But what I don't want to hear is that Anderson Silva wasn't stalling. No, he was stalling. And 
you know, if you're okay with that, I don't really understand that argument because I don't know what place stalling should have in MMA. Stalling should never be a retreat to the referee to save you. The referee should save you when you're getting crushed or if the guy on top isn't doing anything because uh, he's stalling too. I don't think Cormier was a partner in the stalling. If he was, I'll go back and watch, and okay, we can change the argument a little bit. But I really need to get that off my chest. The lockdown with no underhook and waiting for the referee to save you is flat out, nakedly, unequivocal, no argument otherwise, stalling. The only way to support what Anderson Silva was doing is to say, hey, I like stalling. I think stalling is a great part of the game. It's a fair play part of the game. And I, you're entitled to believe that, but I don't. I personally don't. Now, let me say something in defense of Anderson Silva because I've been criticizing him here for this performance. And really, I can't even criticize him. Sounds like I am, but I'm actually I'm not. Because here's the problem with this fight. When they announced it, it was like, oh, man, look at the UFC. What, on 24 hours notice, what's the rabbit they pull out of their hat? Oh, man, they pulled out the greatest middleweight of all time, maybe the, the, the greatest fighter of all time. What an incredible display of, of organizational, you know, um, just how, just how, you know, uh, limber they are and quick, and and what they're able to do. It's incredible what they're able to do, right? That was my initial reaction. I think many of you were the same way, and I still basically believe that. But the problem is, it put both guys in a no-win position. So if you're Daniel Cormier, you're just boned, right? Because who's your replacement? It's Anderson Silva. People already love him. Then he comes in, takes the fight on 24 hours' notice. So now they love him even more. And of course, he comes in as the guy who wants to bang it out. He has no intentions of fighting you on the ground, and I get that, right? He just wants to bang you out on the feet because that's really where he can only really win the fight for the most part. Um, and you're Daniel Cormier. You can't risk that. Your purse already got cut in half before you even set foot in the octagon, and now you have to go fight the greatest middleweight of all time. Granted, on very late notice, but still, that's not a guy you want to take lightly. You don't have any incentive to fight him on the feet, especially if you have to like lose to him and then you're still a champion. It would be, as he mentioned, catastrophic for his career. But really, it doesn't serve Anderson Silva's interest much either. right? Okay, yes, he gets the ad adulation of being um, you know, the, the savior on 24 hours notice. Okay, great. And you know, look, he did what he could, but that's sort of the point, right? Like On 24 hours notice, what can you reasonably expect from Anderson Silva, from anyone? They're going to just do the game they know how to do, and if it gets to a part of the game where they don't know what to do or they haven't practiced it or they realize it's a dead end, they're just going to hold on. I get it. I completely get it. It's up to the referee to not let them do that, and which is why I disagree with Big John's call in this case and his worldview that, like, I know a lot of people view it as the same as full guard. I fundamentally do not view it that way. But I get Anderson Silva's point. Anderson Silva's like, look, am I reasonably going to beat Daniel Cormier on the ground? Do I want to spend time on the ground? No. I'm going to try and game the system a little bit. I that, To me, that is entirely rational. Entirely rational. It's just that I don't agree he should be allowed to do that. And the referee should sort of say that's not okay. But you get my point. Like, Anderson Silva's coming in. He's going to have to strip his game down to bare bones, right, and try to game the system a little bit to get some favorable edges because he's coming in under, like, insane circumstances. And Daniel Cormier is like, got all this thing going for him, even though he's already lost half of his purse. But, you know, he had the full camp. But he has to fight very conservatively to preserve what he has. Maybe in the end, it would have been better if he had a guy who like couldn't, you know, couldn't deal with Cormier, and so Cormier just blows him out and then they move on. You know, wouldn't be have the same name value as Anderson Silva, but we wouldn't be talking about it in this way. So, you know, I understand what the UFC tried to do. I'm not even bashing them for it. I think we just never considered it would go this way. 
But in the end, um, it, I, I'm not I'm not sure that that strategy worked. If both guys have one guy has nothing to lose and the other guy has a lot to lose, and the guy who's got nothing to lose is also hugely popular, um, and, but can't fight to his strengths. You know, it's just not going to make every, it's just not going to make for a pleasant experience. Because someone apparently just has difficulty understanding the world in which we live. LOL, like your source was going to tell you, yeah, Jones was hiding from PEDs, Luke. Oh, oh, they would tell me. Trust me. Get real. Of course, they told you he was hiding from recreational drugs, which you can be suspended for out of comp, depending on what it is. Yes. Yet you believe that. Yes. Because the person who told me doesn't like him at all. So if I were you, I mean, look, you can believe what you want. I don't. I mean, I don't really care. You can believe what you want, but yes. All right. It's of all time. When people talk about who the greatest heavyweight of all time is, they never give Junior Dos Santos a mention. We've been over this before. There's a question about the stall debate. I'll go through these fast. What is your take on the Anderson Silva versus Daniel Cormier stall debate? Some people feel... Silva's lockdown stall was seen as a defensive strategic tool to stop Cormier from making any offense for himself causing the stand-up. Yes, it is, at first. If you if I feel you're passing and I'm like threatened by it and I put the lockdown on, that's fine. In fact, if I put the lockdown on and I hold it for a bit, that's also fine. There's no problem. Like the lockdown is not something that shouldn't be used. It's effective. It should be used. What should not be allowed with the lockdown is that you just hold it and you don't do anything else. Because what you are fundamentally doing is not fighting. You are not fighting. You're not defending yourself. You're not fighting. Putting the lockdown on at first and blocking at first is defensive fundamentals. But at some point, you're just putting the car in park and saying, I'm not going any further. And I'm not sure why you think that should be, not you, this person, but why some of you think that should be allowed. Some people feel Cormier didn't try to get out of the lockdown, so it deserved the stand-up. I can agree that to the extent Cormier was also complicit in the stalling, they should have been stood up. In other words, if Silva's going to stall underneath, which is what he was doing, but Cormier is not going to really try and do anything to get out of it or say, okay, I'm stuck here. I don't know how to get out of it, but I'm going to put a work rate on you like you've never believed. I'm going to go after you. Then, yeah, then you can stand them up because then basically both guys are complicit. Some people feel that Anderson was considering the, the one stalling. Some people feel that Anderson was considered to be the one stalling and relied on the ref on the stand-up, which doesn't show off your skill off your back. That's where I am. What are your thoughts in this case of entertainment versus sport? How do we get a balance for scenarios like this? I don't really care about the entertainment aspect. I think you'll get entertainment as long as you get offense. As long as you get offense. But I don't think you should reward the guy choosing not to fight. Can you shave your beard on a future live chat? Uh, I'm not sure why you would want to see that. <laughs> There's a question or comment below. I'm going to give it a wreck. I will not shave my beard on a future live chat unless something uh, 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 miraculous happens. 
UFC newcomer Landon Venata says Tony Ferguson is easy to read. Well, I hope he's right because Tony Ferguson is wild, unpredictable, and a risk taker. That is about the last guy I would say is uh, easy to read. But MMA is crazy. Maybe he sees something we don't. We're going to find out. Cupcake Tate at UFC 200. Seriously, what happened to the most durable, toughest champion in MMA? This was a weird performance for her, wasn't it? Like, it's not like it all started out like you thought it was going to start out. Noons came out, pressured her, landed some bombs, hurt her. Okay, like that's pretty much par for the course. I, I, I don't think anything is strange about that. For me, it wasn't that Tate couldn't get her offense out of first gear. There was not enough time for her offense to get out of first gear. For me, it was that her defense not never got out of first gear. It just she never found ways to properly evade, cover up, clinch, stay out of trouble. She just never found a way to like slow the fight down for a second. She was just basically at Nunes' mercy. Nunes, I never know how to pronounce it. Uh, she was at her opponent's mercy for you know the duration of that fight, three minutes and some change. Um, that was the weird part to me because even though she could take a tremendous beating, like, look, at some point, there is a limit to everyone's biology. And then, of course, that choke, everyone's like, was the choke tight? I'm sure the choke was tight, but she was obviously hurt, you know, and, and was no no position to continue fighting. Boy, you can get Misha Tate to tap and under around, man. You're doing something right. So, I mean, all the credit in the world to Amanda Nunes, she won it fair and square. But I will say I was surprised. Like, I'm like you. Like, even if you had picked Tate, some of you probably picked Nunes to win. Good on you. But for those of us who picked Tate, you probably thought, okay, um, it's going to go bad early, but then Tate has shown over and over again she can hang on and gut out a win. Um, not this time. Did Cupcake crumble under the pressure of being a main event on a huge card? No, I don't think so. Stress of her weight cut was a factor. I think that might have been more of a factor than we let on, but it's hard to say. If she survived that round without a broken nose, do you think the results would have been different? Yes. Even in the second round, you can tell that... Um, Nunez starts to fade. She definitely fades in the third, but she can begin to fade in, in, in the second as well. Not that she's not dangerous in the second. She is, of course, but uh, I don't think it would have gone the same, no. Someone's asking, who would you like to see Neil Magny face? The Tumanov fight would be great. Barbarina's in Colombia right now, so that's not going to work. Oh, it might actually. It's still some time. But I'm not sure that's that competitive. Safadine might be good. So it's saying maybe Kelvin Gastelum. Kevin, Kelvin Gastelum. Gastelum already lost to him. I wouldn't be interested in that too much. Gunnar Nelson, that'd be kind of good. Gunnar Nelson versus Neil Magny would be kind of good. Now, because Gunnar has such a um, strong ability on the ground, and we've seen that be a hole for Neil Magny in the past, it would be great to see him maybe get some redemption against someone like that. We'll see. Uh, what would stop an agent from Googling the metabolite that his fighter tested positive for and finding a supplement that contains the Reddit boards are full of such claims banned substance. Isn't a sponsor that sees an order coming from Jeff Nowitzki likely to ensure that supplement is clean. So here's how a tainted supplement works. If I have a client and they test positive for X, I can't go and say, oh, they took X over the counter. Look, you can see on the label it says X because you're prohibited from taking that. In order for the claim to work, you'd have to say, hey, look, I took Y and on the label of Y, you can see it's not listed. Then USADA is going to go independently by Y, test it, and if it comes out that way, uh, you know, in accordance with the you know the levels of their tests, 
then yeah, um, you get off. But you can't you can't go and say, oh, my client took DHEA, then go to like the local GNC, be like, oh, see this performance X, you know, amino blaster that's got listed in it DHEA, or I'm just making something up. Uh, he took this. Let me like, okay, here's your two year suspension, dumbass. You can't do it that way. Why all the hate for Cormier? I'm not the biggest fan of Cormier, but I can't comprehend how MMA fans continue to boo this guy after all the adversity he had to go through up to 200. After the whirlwind last week, DC just wanted to fight, and he was willing to take any opponent in order to stay on the card, including taking a pay cut to fight Anderson. Were fans really surprised that his strategy was to take Anderson down? Why would Cormier stand with probably the best MMA striker of all time? And if Cormier had stayed on his feet and had been knocked out by Anderson, the same donks would be calling him a paper champion and other garbage. Correct. He was in a no, again, he was in a no-win position. Question, what does Cormier have to do to at least be appreciated by fight fans? Who cares at this point anymore, man? Is this a criticism of Cormier as a person or the strategy he executed in the octagon to adequately defeat Anderson? Thank you. Hope you're recovering well from your bit of Zika virus. As you can tell, I'm doing much better this week. Um except for that incredibly uh, inauspicious beginning to this podcast. I don't know what Cormier has to do, and I asked him about that, and he basically was like, I don't even know, and I don't really care anymore. Like, I'm not going to really worry myself about it. It is what it is. Like, you know, there's if, 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 I, if he can't be liked under the present set of circumstances, it's hard to envision one where he can be. You know, people are like, oh, Cormier's fights are boring. I actually had a guy tell me this. He's like, Cormier's fights are boring. I'm like, dude, did you see the Johnson and Gustafson fights? And he goes, no. What I'm wondering is if every time Cormier has been on a bigger stage, be it a bigger Fox card or be it pay-per-view, because the Jones fight was big and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't like amazing either. So I wonder if that was a component of it. Um, but by the way, I asked Cormier about the liver shot. Apparently it was not a liver shot that Anderson hit him with. It was the ball of the foot, basically, um, hitting him in the floating rib. And I, you know what? I should put out the audio for it. I'm going to see if I can find the audio. Uh, hold on, because this is hilarious. It's from, it was from uh, my interview with him. Hold on. I'm going to see if I can play this. And how much longer you're in the game. Here we go. This is it. Let's make that sound. Or don't. Hang on. Do we lose him? Okay. 
I made a sound. I actually went in eh, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Immediately, immediately, I tried to like put my game face back on, but it was too late. He thought that he had a. Uh, he thought that he had got me. But even if you go back and watch the video, you can hear me make that sound while I was all. Eh. It, 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 it really did surprise me, man. I was like, wow, that was uh, that was tough. So I was like thinking to myself, just grab him, grab him, because he's going to get excited. You know, guys think they have someone hurt, and they get excited. So I was like, just grab him. And Bob Cook's all counting down the time. He's all 10, 9, 8. So I was like, okay, I can, I can hold him for 10 seconds. There you go. Not only did he get hurt, he went, uh, when he got hit on the floating rib. Pretty funny. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine if we can with the time we have remaining here. Uh, let's see. Is Holm, Holm, Holly Holm versus Nunez the best potential fight for the division, assuming Holm wins her next fight? That or maybe Pena, but probably Holm, given if Holm can win, they can be the Rousey rematch thing. You know, yeah. How many hours have you logged on Pokemon Go? I cannot I cannot prove this, Um. But my hunch is that if you've played Pokemon Go a lot, you're either a teenager, which is okay, or a loser who has too much time on their hands. I can't say that for sure. It's my hunch. Would you give up your beard for removing face the pain forever? I will, This is not negotiable. True or false? Frankie Edgar will win another UFC title before he retires. I'll say true. What is your take on Donald Cerrone's comments about DC and his claims about them being taken out of context? I think he was not probably sober. And he did apologize pretty quickly. It's good enough for me. I'm not interested in I'm not interested in raking him over the coals. I grew up in an era just like many of you did watching this, where using the six letter F word for gay people was common. I mean, it was barely even something you, you didn't even get in trouble for it at school. Um and we all used it. I used it. Uh, but it is a word that enshrines the marginalization of gays. It is a word that conflates homosexuality with weakness and femininity, uh, but like, but like the weak side of femininity, like because there's nothing wrong with femininity as such. But you get the idea; it conflates the two, uh, and it's just not okay anymore. And so, while it's not okay, Donald Cerrone used it. I think he's not too much younger than I am. Um, the fact that he apologized for it as quickly as he did is enough for me. I'm not really interested in a witch hunt, and I'd like to move on from it. Should the uh, Nevada Athletic Commission have contested the booking of a 41-year-old fighter against a champion 48 hours notice? No. Was UFC 200 an example of the UFC brand being bigger than its fighters? To an extent, yes. If you had to pick one fighter in the past 12 months as the most impressive, who would he, she be? Holloway or Cruz? Probably Holloway. If Jones gets a two-year suspension, and I'm told that's almost certainly what's going to happen to him, will he return? I don't know. I don't know. The idea of having him, of him having to stay sober out of jail and in shape for two years without fights to focus on has me worrying he won't be able to keep it together for return i wonder the exact same thing and again either he's going to do it or he's not going to do it and i don't know if he's going to do it do you think mcgregor will fight aldo or alvarez after diaz what's his chance i think it depends if he wins or everything hinges on how uh mcgregor looks against diaz does he look good and lose does he look bad and lose does he look bad and win 
and then that will define whether or not he goes to 145 or 155. Do you think Misha was weight drained? Yes. If you were to write a book on either boxing or MMA, what subject would you pick? Neither. Would not like to write about an MMA. I would not like to write an MMA book. I don't think. I guess it depends on what the book is. When Brian Barberina returns, has he earned respect? Or are we going to continue pretending the UFC is feeding him to people? He definitely earned my respect. You know, Sage North got fight, I don't know, but um, definitely in the um, in the last one against uh, uh, Vorley Alves. Hi, Luke. Was round four Ian Jacek fight a 10-8? I have to go back and watch. Tate looked off from weigh-in day. Weird walkout. Looked very nervous. Agree? Ish. I do think the I do think the weight cut absolutely played a role. Why is the MMA media so defensive of DC? And will Dana ever stop going on TV being emotional? <laughs> Can't speak for Dana White. Probably not. But why is the MMA media so defensive of DC? Because he's done nothing wrong. For a guy getting booed and criticized, he's done nothing wrong. So why wouldn't we defend him? Do you believe John Bone Jones' situation was an accidental ingestion or indication of PED use if e-blockers are involved? We don't have enough information to make that call. It can be either of those situations, but certainly John Jones just, you know, John Jones cannot manage his affairs. He cannot do it. What do you make of the fact that in the USADA era, no women fighters have failed a drug test? Yeah, I brought this up, and I, I put out a clip a few days ago asking the very same question. It was on Monday, as a matter of fact, to Juliana Pena. A few reasons. Uh, some suggest they haven't been tested as much. There are only two divisions. Um, they have fewer fights, so they get tested less in aggregate. Um, but there's less of them. Maybe they have less. Some of the drugs you know, can turn you from a woman into a man. Some are just hard on your organs. Um, so maybe they do they use less as a consequence of you know not trying to promote biological change. Not, they don't turn you literally from a man to a woman. They produce like the more manly features uh, in you, deeper voice, other things. Uh, so there you go. Which middleweight in the top ten do you think Hendricks could realistically beat? What happened to Harvey Dent? Harvey Dent's there. What middleweight in the top ten? Let's see. Good question. I don't really know if there's any. See the rankings here. God. Kill me. <laughs> Top 10 is Derek Brunson. Nope. Uriah Hall. Probably not. Machida. Nope. Musasi. Nope. Whitaker. Nope. Anderson. Probably not. Vitor. I mean, maybe, I guess. Jacare, nope. Weidman, nope. Luke Rockhold, nope. Michael Bisping, nope. So there's that. What do you think about the UFC cutting DC's pay? Somebody asked me this, I think, later on in the chat, and they're like, you know, if you show up to do a painting job and it, like there's like a downpour and you can't do the job anymore, if you can do a different one, you know, doesn't that, it's not, no, it's no one's fault, but it just changes what you're doing. I mean, yeah, he is not fighting the same person, but like, Cormier is the victim. I understand that it might be the case that he's making less because the UFC is making less proportionally. Um, but, you know, we're talking about one of the great paydays of his life that he was counting on. This is not like 
the great job. You know, if you're showing up for a job just to paint. This is an ordinary job. You'll have many of them. We're talking about, oh, you have a handful of these. The true great payday of his life. So it's it's much more dire than a situation where, you know, I didn't make the same money on Monday. I'll make it the same money, you know, the following Monday. It doesn't work that way. Which middleweights in the, okay. Um, how could Gedalia gas out in two rounds, but Aldo lasted five while they do the same exercises and always train together? Because they have entirely different genetics. Again, I can go do the exact same training regimen as uh, as um, Usain Bolt. I'm not going to run like him, even if I finish all the same things he does. I won't finish him as fast. You know, I do all the same. To your point, they we could train together and we could do all the same exercises together. I can go to the gym with, uh, let's pick someone, shall we? Let's say Bradley Martin. You guys know who Bradley Martin is? He's like the YouTube fitness guy. He's like all bricked up. I can go to the gym with Bradley Martin. We can do the same exercises. Hey, it's chest day. For him, every day is arm day, but let's say it's chest day. We'll start with some inclined dumbbells, and then we're going to go to flat dumbbells. Then we'll go to reverse grip decline bench. Then we'll do single arm pec deck. Then we'll do pullovers, and then we'll end with three sets to the max of push-ups. I can do all those exercises. I can't do them at the same weight that he does. And I probably can't do it with the same kind of speed of recovery between sets. And I probably can't do it with the same kind of intensity that he can. I mean, I can do them, but I can't do it like him. Mir Romero and now John Jones tested positive for tainted substances, all managed by Malkikawa. Coincidence? Could be. I don't know. What is the origin of the hashtag chat rappers? Well, it's the worst hashtag in the world, but I'm stuck with it. I tried to get something that was like, if you watch the chat rap, you are a chat rapper, but that's stupid and doesn't work. And no one ever remembers it. And I, But it's too late to change. So here we are. Would you rather learn how to play Face the Pain on guitar or walk around playing Pokemon on phone for eight hours? I'd rather use a guitar to smash someone over the head who has played Pokemon for eight hours. Why is there not more people wanting to see Aldo versus McGregor too? There's plenty who want to see it. It's just that he has business to attend to. How is Rousey the only recent champion to lose and gets a rematch even though she took the worst beating? Because the way the sport works is the promoter has ultimate control over matchmaking. Did you see the video of Chris Weidman dressed as a janitor? I did not. Oh, the one at the uh, fan expo? I saw like the thumbnail. I didn't look at the video. Could Jones sue Chael and Rashad for leaking what he popped for? I mean, if it's true, what would he leak? What would he what would he sue them for? How would you fare in a grappling match against Big Daddy Brock Lesnar? <laughs> Poorly. Poorly. I mean, I might be able to defend a submission because I don't think he knows submissions all that well, but He's going to take me down and probably pass at some point. If Connor beats Nate, which fights sell the most? If Connor beats Nate, okay. Alvarez, Aldo, Lawler, Cruz, which would you like to see? Connor, Aldo. If he can beat Nate, Connor, Cruz, even though I think, oh, sorry, uh, Connor, Lawler. I think Lawler would some mash him. And then Alvarez and Cruz. Cruz being the very last one I would want to see. Uh, will Alvarez or Ferguson have a better shot at beating Habib? Alvarez, maybe. 
and Ferguson too, but Alvarez is interesting because of the way he can mix it up. If Alvarez can do the Gleason T-Bow bit where he can stop the takedown, then as you can see, Habib is very vulnerable on the feet. Who would you like to see Anderson fight next? Why can't we have Anderson go back to 205 a little bit? Shake things up. He's pretty competitive there. Plus, if you guys are all in favor of stalling, if he gets taken down, we'll just get put right back up. Lesnar would net crank you so effing fast. I would go under conditions where he couldn't do net cranks. All right, a couple more of these. Who would win? Duho Choi versus Yair? Ooh. That's a tough one. Diaz versus Maya. Maya. Joe Duffy versus Pettis. At lightweight, probably Duffy. Maybe, I guess. That's a tough one. Zingano versus Rousey again. I'd probably favor Rousey. Duho Choi versus Yair. Ooh, let's see how he looks in his next one. But maybe Yair, but that's a that's a tough call. True or false? Eddie Alvarez successfully defends his belt at least once. I'll say true. True or false? Brock Lesnar fights over him. Stipe winner at MSG. False. Can you tell us about one of your experiences at a WCW house show in the late 90s? I'd rather die. Um, okay. That's it for now, ladies and gentlemen. I am so sorry about the technical difficulties early. If I can shave those out of the video uh, after the fact, I will. If I can't, I'm sure you all guys are all going to complain, and you have every right to. I am desperately sorry about that. Um, guys, tonight... In like four and a half hours, another UFC show starts. We'll have all the coverage for that. I'm going to have my radio show, 4 p.m., Luke Thomas Show, Sirius XM Rush 93. Tune in for that. For everyone I saw at the Fan Expo, everyone I saw the whole week in Las Vegas, you guys were super cool to me. If you came up to me and said hi and and you know told me you listened to the podcast, I can't tell you how many people did that. I was, I was blown away. And every one of you guys was cool. Every one. I didn't see one single weirdo, man. You guys were all really great. Um, I can't say how much I appreciate it. So thank you so much. It meant the world to me. And um, I owe you guys everything. I really do. You guys have given me something I never thought I was ever going to be able to get. So if you've been watching this live chat and you've been supporting it, um, just know that I from me to you seriously thank you so much like it, it is tr one of the true great honors of my career to be able to do this okay all right 4 p.m sirius xm rush 93 luke thomas show until next time stay frosty <laughs>